0: I'm not here to poke holes and suspended disbelief.
1: Anyway, they see some weird shit, they decide to make a baby.
0: Thou working merchant. Who gives a fuck? Oh my God. Just to start you. Yells at well, you know, uh, I really like it here. Uh, it's kind of nice, and uh, it's not as cold as back home and the soil is a lot better. So, yeah, sure, I think we're gonna settle.
1: If I'm a peasant boy who grabs a sword out of a stone. Yeah. I'm able to open people up. You will, yeah. Anytime I hit them with it, right? Yeah. So my cleave landing will make me a cavalier.
0: Good day, sir. If Siskel thought it was empty-headed plebeian trash, it was probably <laughs> really good
1: groove on it. <laughs> because cannibalism and murder. Pull back just a little bit and build walls to keep out the redheads. And he was told A thrill intent doesn't exist. Some people stand up to wipe their butts, some people stay seated to wipe their butts. Like it just of Time, where we connect nerdily to
0: the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history teacher and uh, currently contractually unemployed uh, up here in Northern California. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's actually my biggest news is unlike some suckers, um, I am already on my summer vacation as we uh, begin recording this. So there's going to be an awful lot of working on the house, and I get to spend two months being a stay-at-home full-time dad. So, looking forward to it. Who are you, and what are you all about?
1: I'm Damian Harmony. I'm a Latin and a drama and soon-to-be U.S. history teacher. I guess we're not going to make this timeless. Uh, so, yes, I am that poor sap who is still working. Um, rather, I'm watching children not work uh, as we... Yeah careen toward the end of the cliff so sweet sweet release of summer could not come sooner uh they're good kids i just can't wait till they figure it out so but uh i will also since we've already made this not timeless i'm now the proud parent of two children in the double digits yeah yeah my daughter turned 10 yesterday uh so yeah um Yeah, it's it's awesome. Uh, I will be giving her her gifts. Oh, I will tell you this because you enabled this. I will be giving her her gifts to um, our Saturday when she comes back home. Okay. I did, however, give her one gift uh, the night before her birthday proper. And I gave her a gift the day of her birthday proper. Okay. The gift I gave her the day of her birthday proper was not a big deal. It was a, a set of miniatures of spell effects. Oh, okay, cool. Her nice. brother gave her his gift on her birthday proper, and it was a miniature of Tiamat. She was over the moon.
0: No kidding. Yeah. Very. Um,
1: cool. Yeah. So, uh, and when he he told her what he wanted, or he told me what he wanted to get her, I'm like, well, no matter what I get her, your gift will be the most special this year. Well done, sir. <laughs> uh, he also got up early and cleaned the cat boxes for her, even though it was her day to do it. And I had told her, it's your day. These are your cats. Even on your birthday, you have to take care of the the ones you love. Mm-hmm. And he got up extra early so she wouldn't have to, unbidden, unasked for by anyone. Bless that boy's heart.
0: Your your son, your son is the best of us, truly. <laughs> he really. He yeah. really is.
1: Yeah. Now very ha- cool. Having said that, her birthday gift from yeah. me yeah. It it is. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 different, uh, wrapped up packages of books that you gave me. Nice gratis, I might add. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, of second ed, third ed, fourth ed, and a little bit of fifth ed stuff. Yeah, the one that she got the night before her birthday was the Volos, uh, Guide to Waterdeep from oh, second okay. edition. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she was over the damn moon about that. She was comparing <laughs> it to her map. She's like, "I need to find out where he lives." And she's like, "They changed the maps." And da 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 da. So, and she's about to open every single book. You gave me two full boxes full two, of game two books, bankers,
0: sir. two bankers boxes yes. full of Dungeons and Dragons books. Yeah.
1: So she's she's going to, uh, yeah. I, I anticipate she will cry because that, that is how she handles <laughs> intense emotions of joy. Very so. cool yes very cool so that that is the cheerful stuff and now for the next oh god how many pages is this uh (laughs) i'm gonna (laughs) guess with 32 pages uh i'm gonna say probably about four episodes
0: oh my god okay
1: (laughs) um do you have antidepressants on hand because if not,
0: like, like it depends on how we define on hand, they're in the house. <laughs> good,
1: good enough, good enough. And I have, and,
0: and I have a very strong beer here in front of me. And okay, okay, so
1: that'll get you through that's, it.
0: That's my go to coping mechanism. That's like
1: doping in so, the early marathons, yeah. <laughs> like where they're like, drink scotch and eat strychnine. Uh, yes, yeah. so, <laughs> which they yeah. did. That was what. Yes. Oh, God. If there was some way like Tritonine? because of the yes, the purview of our show is not such that I can just explore whack ass shit from the past. Yeah. If I could, I would do an entire episode on the 1912 Olympics. It was the last Olympics that featured tug of war as an event. Yes. Um, and also uh, it, it involved um, quite the scandal when it came to running the marathon, including one person who took a, a car. Uh, Yeah, I remember that bit another person and they were doping him along the way by giving him scotch mixed with strychnine so he wouldn't feel the pain. (laughs) But there's nothing that like I can tie that to a nerdery like no one, no one in nerdery would be like, you know what this, this, no one's everyone's going to believe this, 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 you know, no, no, No. people would be like, go back to editing. You can't you. You, Yeah
0: holy shit okay yeah oh, yeah.
1: they also swam across like the marne river i might be compressing
0: mm-hmm. um, yeah you're you're i think there's a couple things. of couple of different olympics here. yeah you're it just pushing together there but so you know fun. the early olympics were kind of a shit show
1: yeah it's great yeah it's good times
0: so so hey, what take, what exactly take the, is take it?
1: the medal from the native american guy because he played baseball for pocket uh, change once so yeah yeah. All right. So, so um, this next four episodes uh, will roughly. depress you. Um, I kind <laughs> of okay. want to give you the title first, and I kind of don't. I, I like the idea of it sneaking up on you. Okay. So you tell me what you want. Do you want it to sneak up on you, or do you want to be gobsmacked by the title?
0: Um, I'm I'm gonna say go ahead and sneak up on me. All right. Where where are we starting this in December of 1919? Oh
1: okay. Cornelius Vanderstar founded CV Star and Company, later known as Star Companies in Shanghai, China. Okay. Vanderstar was a California ice cream salesman and after he dropped out of UC Berkeley in 1911, seeing little future in ice cream sales, he enlisted in the US Army in 1918, but he didn't get to travel the world and get shot at because by the time he was deployed the war was over and the flu was in full effect. Okay. Still He then joined a steamship company and got stationed in Japan. And from there, he made his way to Shanghai, where he found work for many different insurance companies. Okay. Now, to understand where I'm going, you have to understand the basics of an insurance company. They are thus. You cannot afford it if everything goes terribly wrong and your business, your car, your home and your life ends up broken by some accident. Yeah. So what you do is you insure those things. This way, if the worst thing happens, you are paid a fraction of, and up to the total value of, depending on your policy, uh, the the things that you've insured. You do this by paying monthly or even annual insurance payments. Yeah. Okay. This way, the insurer can count on steady income from you and many, many others, which would enable them to then pay out the value of the thing should the unfortunate occur. And the insurers, therefore, don't, don't want the right. unfortunate to occur, and frankly, you don't either. <laughs> it's better no, in your life does. if your shit doesn't break down. Yes,
0: yeah, no, nobody does. So it's kind of uh, like a yeah. benevolent Ponzi scheme. <laughs> like, kind of, on some kind weird of. Level. The, the the part of it, the part of it you're leaving out is the mm-hmm. insurance company uh, builds on the money that you're paying them by then investing it in God knows what all. And That's so true. they're making they're making money from you paying your monthly premium. Yes. And they're also getting the financial benefit of mm-hmm. interest and in whatever else is happening on the money that you're paying them. So right. like if you can be the guy or gal who founds a successful insurance company, it's it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a way to print money until something goes, you know really horribly wrong ways for yeah. a lot
1: of people. Yeah, like yeah. say the Loma yeah. Prieta earthquake of 1989. Uh, yeah, uh, where they were like, "Sorry, we can't pay for your house. You're fucked." Yeah. Um now the more risky the thing's existence, the higher your premiums. So if you have a car, you know, you've got this this many premiums, but if you uh have a car and you race it all the time, you're going to have to pay more for your insurance premiums. Yes. And so if you have a business, lots of capital or anything of value, it's good to pay for insurance on it so that you can at least pay to have it replaced if something bad happens. Yes. Now, now it gets really complicated because in those days, you could insure people and things without their actual knowledge, and you could overinsure something so that the value of the payout is worth more than the actual value of the thing. This was especially a common in garment factories in New York to the point where the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory's second largest tragedy was that it burnt down before the owners meant to burn it down. Wow. Okay. Vanderstar started up his own insurance company in 1919, like I'd said, but it also seems to have had a Shanghai-specific branch called American Asiatic Underwriters. Both of these were international in their approach, and once the Japanese invaded China, he had to move the headquarters of AIA, American uh, AIA Group, pardon me, and Star Companies to New York. Vanderstar himself worked for the OSS during the war. Given his networking capabilities and his understanding of the cultures and languages in the area, this made a lot of sense. And he specifically worked with Wild Bill Donovan and created the insurance intelligence unit of the OSS during the war. I did not know that that existed until this podcast. He gave the monetary backing necessary. Yeah. And he gave the monetary backing necessary for the Flying Tigers. Oh, yeah. He funded the Flying Tigers.
0: Fuck yeah. He underwrote all them. Right. So far I like this guy. I'm yeah, I'm I'm really I'm really worried that like, you know, this is all <laughs> gonna fall apart. We're gonna find out what a what a rat bastard he was, yeah. you know. But but so far I'm liking this dude. All yeah right.
1: Now about fifty-five years later, so about two thousand, Mark Fitz wrote an article in the LA Times uh that said, quote they knew which factories to burn, which bidget, which which bridges to blow up, which cargo ships could be sunk in good conscience. They had pothole counts for roads used for invasion and head counts for city blocks marked for incineration. They weren't just secret agents; they were secret insurance agents. These undercover underwriters gave their World War II spymasters access to a global industry that both bankrolled and ultimately helped bring down Adolf Hitler's Third Reich. Okay. Now, there is a book that I have on my shelf, and I can't see it from here. Let me turn my head. Uh, I believe it's called The Approaching Storm. And do you remember in Episode 2 when Palpatine said, oh, Generals Kenobi, or General Kenobi, and or no, I think they were still Jedi, Matt, Jedi and Padawan at that time. Yeah. Because the, the Clone Wars hadn't happened yet.
0: Yeah. 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 Episode uh,
1: 2, yeah. Yeah. Kenobi and, and Skywalker are just coming back from Anseon. That book was about Ancyon, and in it, uh, Ben Kenobi, or Obi-Wan Kenobi, pardon me, uh, spoiler alert, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, had a friend who had a two-sided brain that they would talk to each other at night when he slept, but he was essentially a large snail insurance salesman. And when you're going to take down part of the banking clan, that's basically what you needed. Okay. So when I read this, I was like, I wonder if they got the idea for that. And for once I didn't dive deeper to find out uh, okay. now in, in 1949, uh, uh, Vanderstar also moved his company now called American insurance group or AIG, AIG. Oh, to New okay. York due to the fact that Mao won despite uh, AIG's efforts to back check. And from that point on, it was the world's largest insurance company. Now, 1968 Vanderstar died, AIG continued on with a man named Maurice call me Hank Greenberg as his chosen successor, a possession uh, a position that Hank Greenberg held until 2005. Now Hank Greenberg himself wow. was a war hero in World War II yeah okay And uh, he was there for Normandy, he was there for the liberation of Dachau, and then later he joined up for the Korean War. He received a bronze star, which I would like you to tell me what that's for. Uh,
0: the bronze star <clears throat> is a decoration for valor uh, in okay. combat. Uh, okay. The the progression is bronze star, silver star, medal of honor. Okay basically okay um and uh below the bronze star are individual service crosses like the navy cross or oh, the okay. army army i don't remember what the army's award is sure. um
1: yeah okay cool so pretty 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 courageous during a war yes um and he got the commandeur of the french ordre national de la legion d'honor
0: yeah, well, <clears throat> shortened frequently to just the Legion of Honor. Oh, that. So for you don't his... have to continue. You know, <laughs> for somebody who taught Latin.
1: I know. I know.
0: Your inability to pronounce French, like, hurts.
1: Okay, Latin is engraved like, in stone. French is spoken in cursive.
0: Like <laughs> That's a really great analogy. All right. Yeah, this yeah. is true. All right, fine.
1: So, But his efforts in the European theater during World War II earned him the Legion of Honor. Okay. Um, Now, when he returned to the United States, he went to school for his bachelor's of arts and then a law degree by 1950. And then when he returned from Korea, he passed the bar. After Greenberg took over AIG, the company went public the very next year in 1969. Now, decisions were made with stockholders profits in mind, not the good and bad ideas of the man in charge. So Greenberg oversees this now that he's the one executing these policies, coming up with things that are but he is now beholden specifically to stockholders. Yeah.
0: Whereas, oh,
1: yeah. Uh, you know, Vanderstar, he was beholden to himself. This is a private company, okay, which yeah. is wild, considering that it's an insurance company, the biggest insurance company in the world. Greenberg focused his efforts on using brokers instead of agents as a way to cut down on costs. Brokers got paid based on the profits of what they did, uh, or they'd get a flat rate paid directly to them by the investors, which means AIG doesn't have to pay them for that. Yeah. So this is independent contractors doing work, which, you know, the lure is you could make a lot of money if you make a good sale. But the downside is it's wildly unstable if you're not at the top of the game. Yeah. And the hope keeps everybody coming back to the trough and working for pittance for AIG. Now, in the 1980s, they got especially creative. AIG started offering very specific insurance packages. They'd insure leased aircraft, pollution liability, and my favorite, they insured political risk. You could take out insurance specifically against political risk.
0: How exactly do you do you file a claim for political risk?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at voting records, you could literally go, "Uh, my exhibits are that the Boland Amendment passed. So... You know, all the money that I sank into, you know, Nicaraguan guns.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Okay.
1: Now, since they were publicly huh. traded, that also now meant that AIG would follow the constant growth model, which, as we know, works perfectly, and it's never a problem.
0: <laughs> so, especially for an insurance company
1: that is the largest insurance yeah, company largest in the insurance
0: world. company in the world.
1: Yeah. So if you're not growing, what, you're dying.
0: <laughs> what could go wrong? Eh,
1: at least there's a lot of regulations, so it's <clears> not going to be a problem ever.
0: <laughs> oh no.
1: All this right. of course leads to more enticements to get more people to invest. And since it's an international <sighs> company, this means getting more and more diverse investors. And you find new ways to make money off of people worldwide. In India, for instance, AIG strove, quote, to provide financial advisory services to corporations seeking high-level independent strategic advice. In other words, they're advising specific countries with huge populations on their finances. Mm -hmm. And not just countries, specific leaders. Like, say, in 2003, when Vladimir Putin asked AIG to invest in Russia to help bolster their economy so oh, that he'd no. also have a pathway to improve relations, specifically with George W. Bush. Oh, no. Greenberg specifically met with Putin in 2003 to see about helping his reach that end or helping yeah. him to reach that end. Yeah. yeah. In yeah, 2005, yeah. that among other scandals caused Greenberg, then 80 years old, to step down from AIG. In okay. February of 2006, AIG settled out of court for 1.64 billion dollars and apologized publicly for deceptive business practices. Essentially, they'd been investing by they'd been investigated by the Securities and Exchange Commission, the U.S. Department of Justice, and the New York State Attorney General for fraud. I believe the New York State Attorney General at the time was. Oh god, not Anthony Weiner, not that guy. Uh, the the other guy that was brought down by his own dick. Um oh, um, his name escapes me. He's really smart yeah. though. Yeah. Um it'll come to me later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really
0: really smart un- until He was his... governor. Yeah.
1: He was governor of New York uh, or or lieutenant governor, I forget. I think he was governor because then okay. uh, the guy the 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 guy who was blind ended up being governor for a bit. Sp- okay. Spitzer. Elliot oh
0: elliot spitzer okay yeah yeah. i think yeah, no, i know you're right
1: i think in 2006 he was still attorney general or he just passed that off to someone else so yeah. anyway uh you know geek timers uh message us uh on on the twitter uh at geek history time uh tell us who the attorney general was in 2006 there you go um so uh those all uh, investigated them for fraud. And this was two years after they had already paid. AIG had paid 126 million dollars in a settlement to make up for a number of regulatory violations. Now you're the largest insurance company in the world. you're publicly traded. a lot of people like that money. Um, you're gonna you're gonna still have that money to be able to spend. Although you are spending monies to get it like you're kind of turning, fines into a service fee
0: well yeah, yeah. you know when, when you said that they paid one point something billion dollars mm-hmm. that's a really big dollar amount to you know anybody who isn't the world's largest insurance company right kind of the question i have there is okay so
1: what how does that, that compare <laughs> to their
0: profit numbers for that right year?
1: Like and i don't how many i don't billions have that of dollars yeah.
0: did they bring in like you know like, yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah, like, was it
1: even if it was 1% of their profits? That's a hell of a, a hell of a get. But I got a feeling it wasn't. I, I yeah. I'm yeah. Kind of so they paid $126 million in the settlement to, um, uh, I forget to who. They also were sued by the state of Minnesota, who refused a settlement and went ahead and sued them anyway, by the way, um, on the same day in February that that happened. Ben Bernanke testified to Congress that Chinese ownership of U.S. debts wouldn't jeopardize or would not destabilize us. And he was right. We found other ways to destabilize ourselves. Yeah. Now, having stepped down, Hank call me, or, you know, uh, Maurice call me Hank Greenberg, uh, stepped down, Martin J. Sullivan took over. And he took AIG into a new realm. Because again, if you ain't growing, you're dying. Now they began expanding into credit default insurance markets. Specifically, they took on in the tens of billions of dollars of the high risk that went along with writing bad mortgages. AIG also insured tens of billions of dollars of derivatives against default, but they specifically, and in retrospect, foolishly failed to prioritize purchasing reinsurance cover, or purchasing reinsurance to cover that risk. It gets really complex and really complicated, and I barely have a passing understanding Mm -hmm. of it.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, almost nobody has has yeah. anything approaching a, a, a full time under you know, full scale understanding of yeah. it. Like, um, I was actually just watching um, a video clip the other day when I was procrastinating, you know, trying not to to get grading done, mm-hmm. and it was from um, Margin Call, the movie Margin Call,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which um, I don't remember how many years ago it was made but it was before kevin spacey you know got outed as you know being a
1: predator person yeah
0: and uh it was kevin spacey and um i want to say jeremy irons but i don't know i don't know if i'm saying the right name but anyway cast of thousands Mm -hmm. and uh it was some financial firm basically at two o'clock in the morning the CEO and all the all the presidents of the corporation and like three guys from the analysis office who are clearly scared out of their minds um sitting in the boardroom of the corporation as they all realize we have over-leveraged ourselves and this whole thing is about to take a massive shit.
1: Oh yeah, I remember that. And we're
0: that. and and we're gonna die. Yes. Um uh Zach Quinto played mm-hmm. one of the analysts.
1: Yeah yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. It, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah uh demi moore was in it yeah yeah
0: yeah and and um yeah and it was it was this it, you know and and the thing is in in part of the clip zach quinto's character one of one of the higher executives before the meeting actually starts one of the executives asks him so you know what's what's your cv where you know where, where were you before this <laughs> and he gives this very specific explanation of you know Uh, well, I got my, my, uh, doctorate in physics from MIT, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and my specialty was in and, and he finishes describing what it is and there's this beat and Demi Moore says, so you were a rocket scientist (laughs) and he says, yeah. And, and, you know, the thing is it's, it's numbers, everything is numbers and, you know, the money here was better to be, to be very frank. Right, And so like, no, literally the math of all this stuff was being worked on by no shit rocket scientists, you know, uh, people, people getting doctorate level degrees in mathematics were the, and they're the only ones who could look at the numbers and go, okay, I can kind of figure this out.
1: Right. You know, it
0: was this, it was this ridiculous, it was, it was was the level, it it was uh, financial manipulation on a level of subtlety and complexity
1: like it's like if mozart was a financial manipulator instead of a pianist
0: yeah kind of yeah. yeah um you know there, there's um oh damn it now now i can't remember the name of the name of the series but um anyway th- there was there was a, another series uh that was about a group of uh consultants mm-hmm. you know uh financial corporate oh the boiler room no, I don't oh, think it was the boiler room. Um, and I'm forgetting the name of the cast. The names of the cast members. I'm I'm just completely drawing a blank on it. But it was an amazing show. Uh, and one one of the like the very first episode is they get called in to deal with the PR fallout from a bank, you know, mm-hmm. completely fucking up and violating the law and doing all this stuff with these shady right. investments. And uh, it was, um deeply cynical but one one of the one of the points that that got made was uh you know we on our team we have a couple of guys who got their bachelor's degrees from harvard Mm -hmm. in math and they're having a hard time figuring out how you fucked this up this hard (laughs) nice you know uh, um so yeah um like like it was it was it was an amazing artifact of how complicated we've let so many facets of our own economy get
1: right you know by the way elliot spitzer was the attorney general of new york he was in line to run for governor and he was taken down by his own dick see this is well he's a democrat and democrats actually get taken down by infidelity yeah um so more on that later oddly enough but not elliot spitzer But Spitzer was brilliant at this kind of shit. And he Mm -hmm. had really like I watched a lot of interviews with him talking about the stock market and things like that. And he did a really good job of explaining everything that was happening in real time. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. he was a non-entity by that point because the politics of uh, power were already fully in swing um, and people were lining things up. So anyway, Mm -hmm. uh, AIG, like I said, insured tens of billions of dollars of derivatives against default. Uh, So if these derivatives, uh, these, these, uh, you know, if if these, these bundles defaulted, then they're insured. And of course, they're going to default. But they did not uh, purchase reinsurance to cover that risk. So they didn't get any outside insurance to cover their insurance of something that was clearly going to fall. Um. AIG also used collateral on deposit to buy mortgage-backed securities. And so when they had to pay out for all those failed mortgages, there goes their collateral. Equally as important, there went their good name. And they bought out 21st Century Auto Insurance, changed the name, and hoped that that would staunch the bleeding. And it didn't. I remember that because I was insured by 21st century auto insurance at the time. Oh, yay. The government had to bail out AIG to the tune of $180 billion. With a B,
0: ladies and gentlemen. Imagine Carl Sagan, billion dollars. Yes.
1: Uh, To put it another way, 180 with nine zeros after it. Um, Motherfuck. Yeah, I think that's more money than... Any billionaire has right now. Yes. Yeah,
0: I think you're right.
1: So the fear. Also, was, I yeah. just
0: I want to cut in here. The series that I couldn't remember the name of, mm-hmm. House of Lies. Oh, okay. Lead actor is Don Cheadle. Kristen oh. Bell is one of the supporting actors. Very good cast. It's an amazing show. Anyway, nice. carry on.
1: So the fear was that if AIG couldn't cover its losses, confidence in insurance would plummet and the market would plummet and the entirety of the financial system would collapse. It's likely that this was actually correct because if they went under, remember the largest international insurance company in the world, they would have dragged down a whole bunch of very huge banks with them. And not just Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch and B of A, but a ton of European banks as well.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, so, the whole the whole yeah.
1: the whole system is,
0: is completely interconnected. Yes. It's and a, in it's the, it's the a worst gigantic fucking spider web. Yeah, it's it's actually uh, spider web is the wrong analogy. It's it's like financial tentacle porn.
1: Mm-hmm. It's like, they're all chained to each other and one of them is really. Yeah. Happy. So yeah. So essentially, AIG found a way to buy on the margin without even paying for the margin, which is kind of okay. like how we do filibusters now. Uh, This meant that they had not paid in advance for the bill that was coming due. And since the regulations had been softening since Reagan defeated Jimmy Carter, the problem was manifold. CNN Money said that with AIG, quote, the situation is even more serious. The company is much larger and and, and complex than Lehman Brothers, and its assets hitting the market all at once would likely cause worldwide chaos and send values plummeting. Experts question whether there are even enough qualified buyers out there to digest the company and its subsidiaries.
0: Holy crap.
1: They needed a federal bailout or we would all be screwed, which that's a problem unto itself, but they got one as a result. And this would not have been a problem if we weren't involved in two major wars 13,000 miles away with no end in sight. And that wouldn't have been a problem if the sitting president and enabling Congress hadn't actually cut taxes for almost the entirety of that war. See, when you go to war, you're supposed to raise taxes to pay for it. But instead, Dick Cheney kept hitting the button of, quote, we'll be greeted as liberators, explaining that Iraq would give a, give the U.S. hella oil and thanks, and that'll take care of our costs. None of this happened, of course, and the wars didn't end, and we still hadn't found Osama bin Laden. Yeah. So the federal government had to find the money to give an insurance company to keep them from imploding due to a really complicated game of financial mousetrap and liars dice combined without really raising taxes because we'd been cutting taxes this whole time and raising taxes to pay for an insurance company that did hinky shit wouldn't play well politically (laughs) in 2006 And this meant uh, gutting even more of the social programs and safety net programs for people who were now losing their jobs because of the financial collapse caused by such companies playing fast and loose and losing in the first place. This is also a year after Katrina hit and people drowned because it rained.
0: Oh, fuck.
1: So politically, you can't raise taxes. (laughs) Jesus.
0: Yeah, I'd forgotten about that particular confluence.
1: Yeah, yeah. So and now the best part, AIG had to announce publicly after it gets a one hundred and eighty billion dollar bailout that it was going to pay its executives one hundred and sixty five million dollars in executive bonuses because they're publicly traded companies. So they have to announce their bonuses and four hundred and fifty million dollars for the financial department of their insurance company. You know, the fuckers that got us here. And so that was a total of $1.2 billion in bonuses for the whole company. They had to announce that after we gave them all that money. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then things started tumbling hard. Liquids get banned from airplanes due to a thwarted plot to use liquids and gels to hide and activate explosives on planes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Henry Paulson, the former CEO from Goldman Sachs, was put in as Secretary of the Treasury, with unanimous support by the Senate, by the way. Uh, that's both both parties. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Irwin fucking died. Um, a hazardous waste plant exploded in Apex, North Carolina, unleashing some really awful poison gas, uh, evacuating, I want to say, 2,000-plus people. And foreclosures went up by 42% from 2005, with 1,259,118 foreclosures filed in 2006. This was the bursting of the subprime mortgage bubble, in addition to all that other shit. Jesus. But that's not what I'm going to talk to you about. I'm going to talk to you about Walter White and Al Swearengen, and why we like them so much while heaping hate and grumbling disapproval on John Cena and Pope Francis. Okay. That's why this podcast is called Walter White, John Cena and Pope Francis. Why we hate good people and love bad people.
0: Okay. Okay. So um there's an intro for you.
1: Right. That's that's one hell of a cold open.
0: Yeah. Um, bold
1: move, Cotton. Let's see how it cold. plays off for. Him. <laughs> yeah. In four episodes, um, I'll bring it back to AIG. Bring it
0: back around <laughs> to AIG. Yeah. Um, so so before we go anywhere, the first thing sure. I need to say is Vivat Francis. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. As the as the you know uh, token believer yeah and that's
1: that's latin for let's go cena
0: yeah you know
1: viva francis
0: in in context i'm not even mad (laughs) i'm not even mad um yeah um okay
1: you want to know why people hate pope francis
0: let's go ahead and start there
1: yeah well to understand that we have to go back to ecw again always really (laughs)
0: okay okay now, so, now ecw is yep. philly
1: right yes I'm yes okay
0: all right yeah people yeah, i'm not gonna give you points for santa
1: remembering claus. this because it's every other episode that i mentioned <laughs> yeah
0: but 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 these yes. are the people who threw batteries at santa claus yes
1: yes, yes. they are okay all right the Just, same okay the same um okay so yeah, they're a Philly-based wrestling organization, and they absolutely set themselves up as the renegades, the extreme and gritty underdogs of wrestling. And by 2006, they had been bought up by WWE, having folded in 2001. Now, in November of 2000, I know, I know. Okay,
0: so they folded <laughs> in 01, yes. but the purchase of essentially their intellectual property
1: happened in november of 2000 yeah it happened okay. uh, right around the time they folded actually but then the wwe stopped sitting on all their stuff that they had and started making money with them
0: okay all right so it, it
1: starts in november of 2004 when the wwe using its vast library which is why the wwe bought all these different federations was always for their tape libraries vince mcmahon had in mind to have a wwe network from the jump and okay. I'm loath to give him credit because he's such a union busting prick. <laughs> but, but, dude had a fucking vision. Due, and as yeah. an historian and who loves wrestling, I love the fact that he's like, someday, I will want to show people on a network, Playboy Buddy Rose and Pretty Boy Doug Summers taking on the Midnight Rockers. someday, okay. yeah, someday. So. Or the first cage match that I could have ever found, which was from 1934. I found video of it. I think. Um, oh no shit! It was called. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was the chicken wire match with Lou Fez, I think. Okay. I have to go back and, and look. I watched okay. it. It was, it was something. Anyway, uh, so they bought uh, everyone out all the time as as quickly as they could to get their libraries. So in 2004 in November they put out a DVD called The Rise and Fall of ECW. And at this point, the Attitude Era had already ended, and WWE was searching around to find its new white-hot something or other. See, with Hulk Hogan, you had white-hot Hulkamania. And then with the Attitude Era, you had the Austin Attitude Era, and that was white-hot. And so since wrestling is inherently self-cannibalizing, they yeah. kept trying to find similar formulas to what had already worked, despite the fact that the Attitude Era was nothing like the Hogan Era. Yeah. And it took so, them a while to find it.
0: Okay. So we're looking at 2006 right now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: 2004. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, where is The Rock chronologically?
1: Let's see. In, he has already left. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. Cause WrestleMania 19 would have been 2002, 2003. Okay. Um, and yeah, the rock is now making movies. He's probably making get shorty or something like that. So okay. he's not, he's not okay. hitting huge, big, but he is, he's putting in the he, work.
0: He has, he has gone Hollywood.
1: Yes. Okay. He's on the undercard of Hollywood. Okay. Um, go. but a lot of people, I mean, he's got massive name recognition. He's already been on SNL a couple times. So uh, but the DVD sold like gangbusters um, And the Wrestling Observer noted Now the Wrestling Observer is kind of like a trade publication It's the closest thing that they have to a trade pub Okay um, And they noted that it was the best uh, Pro-wrestling DVD of 2005 Because um, it, it released In November of 04, So it counts for 2005 uh, And the WDB also released a book About the same time of the same title And it did less well since wrestling is a visual medium Yeah but this look at the old and beloved brand rekindled an interest in ECW. And since the McMahons always want to make more money, they organized a specific pay-per-view to be aired from the Hammerstein Ballroom, which was ECW's actual old stomping grounds in New York. Not in Philly, but in New York. And since okay. WWE is based in New York. So okay. they go to the Hammerstein Ballroom, which is a beautiful building. It's, it's, only seats like 2500 like it's a small venue but it's majestic it's got a balcony
0: oh, okay All right.
1: um it it very much is evocative of of the past it lent an air of legitimacy and nostalgia to the event even though there were several raw and smackdown wrestlers on the card it was a legitimate attempt at making as ecw as possible a pay-per-view for the wwe in fact they brought in tommy dreamer who at that time was working in wwe talent relations um tommy dreamer is like the the forever good guy in ecw um and he was always the underdog he was always taking a beating etc etc he never wanted to win the title um that was the point you know and so he kind of became the emblematic guy of ecw like you had taz you had sabu you had rob van dam you had the dudleys you had all these great stars who very much went on to do great things and they were always in the 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 top tier of of it but tommy dreamer was just fucking always there man like okay the, the best example i could think of is like tommy dreamer was to ecw what um Yeah, I don't know what what maybe the Steiner brothers were to WCW or or what, uh, you know, Jake the Snake Roberts was to WWE. Okay, Okay. never at the top, 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 but always very popular,
0: always, always somewhere there.
1: Yeah. And always compelling to watch. Okay, so Tommy Dreamer was in charge of booking this show and they told him specifically get as much ECW talent as you can reliably get. And as things kept rolling along, ECW became the third brand for the WWE after Raw and SmackDown, which was kind of cool. Like uh, Now, there there will be purists, but whatever. So the event itself was as ECW as it got. At the Hammerstein Ballroom, you did have lots of SmackDown wrestlers invading it, uh, which prompted chants from the crowd, such as, you suck dick, or fuck you SmackDown. And... Shut the fuck up.
0: Because ECW. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> now, Rob Van Dam interrupted being the ECW hero once again. And after the next match, Raw invaded. Um, and Edge was the champ at the time. Now, Edge had just gone through this huge battle and war with Matt Hardy. And uh, because in real life, uh, Edge had started a relationship with Matt Hardy's girlfriend, even though all of them were like best friends. Um, because Matt Hardy was on on injured and and stuck at home, and Lita and and Edge were sharing a car and pretty soon a bed, and so Edge was now the mm. champ, and Lita was with him because WWE loves to lean into shit like that. And oh my God, what a storyline? Anyway, so the crowd starts chanting, "I fucked Lita." Oh, oh. yeah, you could take the fans oh. out of Philly. You ain't taking oh. the Philly the out of the Philly. Fans. Out of
0: the fans. Holy.
1: Oh, and that's the tamer of the two chants they chanted about her. Lita's got herpes.
0: What? What?
1: Wow.
0: Yeah. People are animals.
1: They're awful. They're fucking awful. Like, uh, don't get me wrong. I think what she did to Matt Hardy was terrible. But these are these are adults, and they have their own problems. And people get to end relationships. And should she have done it di- bit differently and better? Sure, not my business. Um, and ultimately, real. I always loved Lita. She was my favorite. She was just such a good wrestler. Um, but also, wow, like, wow, yeah. Um, she developed like some serious stress issues over this. By the way, she had a, an ulcer. Um, it was not good for her. She ended up retiring probably within a year. Wow. Um, well, yeah.
0: You know, I, I kind of, like, I get the idea that uh, Sparkly Murder Gymnastics mm-hmm. is, is a soap opera. Yes. But I feel like there's a certain, there's, there's a level of cruelty mm-hmm. involved in like, oh, like, like I can, I can see Vince McMahon going, oh, so you're, you're not with him anymore. You're, you're with him.
1: You know, you, honestly, like, you know, Vince so, McMahon so. very much wanted that story to happen, but he and Bruce Pritchard, the, one of the head writers at the time yeah. went to Lita and edge and Matt Hardy and said, can we do this? Can, cause there's money here. Can okay. Can we do this? You need to be on board with it. Now, if you're not on board with it, does that mean you possibly get pushed down the, the card? Yes. So do you find a way to swallow the bitterness? Probably. Um, But yeah, I, they I, did I... make good money doing this feud, and it told a very compelling story. Um, But it also put Edge on top, and a lot of people were really mad about that. Because okay. Matt's the one that got fucked over in all of this. Yeah. But Edge is a goddamn superstar. I mean, he really was. So, But, of course, they took it all out on her. Uh, now, another match happened, and then Paul Heyman came out, and he cut a promo on Edge and JBL. Now, JBL is uh, Justin uh, Bradshaw-Layfield. Uh, he played basically like a JR Ewing-type wrestling character. Okay. I've never liked JBL. You won't hear me say too many kind things about him. Uh, because I think he's a right bastard, but, um, and I don't mean the character, I mean the person. Um, But having said that, those were the two champions at the time. Um, So he cuts a promo on Edge and JBL, and he gets a huge pop for it. Now, afterward, at the end, a a brawl broke out in the ring between ECW wrestlers and WWE wrestlers, and look at ECW wrestlers are getting the, the getting it over on him. And then JBL out of nowhere starts actually attacking the blue meanie and pounds him in the back of the head to the point where his head opens up and needs like stitches um which then led to a match with the blue meanie where blue meanie got to give him a, a receipt and jbl was okay with that um that's the thing like jbl has always been a bully always has been but he also will take his licks he's like no this is just how it goes it's like mm, doesn't have to oh,
0: but yeah
1: he's always been a huge bully and a prick though
0: okay and and now, from mm-hmm. what I remember of our discussions of ECW previously, uh-huh. It wasn't an ECW match until more than spilled. one person bled.
1: Yeah. But like, I mean, you'd had matches where where I think WWE had a no blood policy at this time. I could be wrong. They they flip flop back and forth, and given that it was ECW, it might have been a special night. But the the hitting of the blue meanie and spilling blood was not
0: sanctioned was not by the yeah. No, it okay. was
1: It was JBL taking liberties. Okay. Anyway, it went really well. Uh, And the fans had a version of ECW to both really love and really hate because it was ECW. So they loved it, but they also hated it because it wasn't really ECW. It was corporate ECW. It was WWE's ECW.
0: So, so they could, they could have that, that fandom, Mm -hmm. like, like any, any fandom anybody's ever been in that, that, weird i love it so much but but like i fucking hate it too
1: yeah they ruined it they ruined it i loved it it. they They took the things i loved and they ruined it they they made a stormtrooper black yeah yeah that kind of shit so you know i and and again i was never a huge fan of ecw i understand that so the thing the thing the things that i liked about it this second time around were probably the same things that, you know, true fans uh, hated about it second time around. And that's fine. <laughs> okay. That's that's okay. Either way, 2005-2006 was a really weird year for wrestling. In November of 2005, Eddie Guerrero died. Um, WWE had an Elimination Chamber match in January in which John Cena won against five other guys, but then immediately lost following that match because Edge cashed in the money in the bank, which is the first time ever something like that has ever happened. Cena got it back a few weeks later at the Royal Rumble and people started complaining louder that John Cena was being forced on the fans. Now He was uh, fairly new new to the championship and people started complaining because they wanted Edge to do it. Um, there was also a guy called the Boogeyman who wrestled. Um, he ate worms and dropped them on your face. It was gross. It was weird. Uh, there was a, a woman. That's a hell of a gimmick. Yeah, there's a woman who had a growth on her face. Other than that, she was hella hot, who sang terribly. And then the boogeyman ate the growth off of her face. It was a weird time. Um,
0: that it was really, really sounds like they're just desperately, desperately stretching. It kind of, yeah. Yeah. Grasping at anything.
1: Yeah. Throwing, throwing shit against the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, The bad guys started getting more and more cheers by WrestleMania too. Cena, although he was very much a good guy um, and wrestled as a good guy and the storylines had him as the good guy, he never like, you know, took took shortcuts or anything like that. He came down to an entrance that aped the gangster era of the 1920s in Chicago. Now, huh. that's badass, that's cool suits, that's cool cars, and shit like yeah, that, yeah, but yeah. isn't that still good guy taking on slightly bad guy trappings?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it didn't matter people booed him anyway, even though he kept wrestling as the good guy. Now, not everyone booed him, but there were vocal males in the audience who booed him. Now, the next few months saw Shawn Michaels wrestle against Vince McMahon and his son Shane um, in a handicap match, but it wasn't really a handicap match. It was a... It was a. Uh, a tag team match. It's just that Vince McMahon and Shane McMahon took on Shawn Michaels and his tag team partner. God.
0: We've talked about this one before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So then you fast forward to 2006, right? Because I, I started with 2006. You were not wrong to think that yes. year. June of 2006 they had another ECW one night stand pay-per-view. And in this one, the Philly fans came up to Hammerstein Ballroom and John Cena got booed big time. So he has this gimmick where he takes off his shirt and he is just fucking cut, dude. Like he is a Greek statue. Oh my God. And he'd throw his shirt into the crowd to the delight of the ladies, to the delight of the children, right? Yeah. ECW one-night stand, they threw the shirt back at him. (laughs) They're brutal, these people. They really are. Oh, God. And they do what they can to rattle you. They really do. So they had a sign that said, if John Cena wins, we riot. Uh, Mick Foley. Mick Foley, a hero, a staple of ECW. They considered him a bad guy because he was a corporate sellout because he'd gone to WWE. The chants were something, of course, uh, uh, as well. For instance, when Randy Orton came out, there was Orton's a homo. Um, classy, right? And then classy. also they chanted at Randy Orton, "Go fuck Cena." <laughs> and um, damn, and and yeah, to other women that were out there, you're a crack whore. and i
0: i can't get any more shocked it, she's like, got
1: herpes there's no yeah there's, um, there's wow and then when cena was wrestling fuck you cena chants were yeah. heard yeah, right? yeah and again smaller buildings so echoes and fewer you know even if you only have like 200 people that's what like i can't do math is that 10 yeah 1%? it's 10 of the audience jesus christ yeah that's a lot of people you know yeah um They start chanting, same old shit, same old shit, (laughs) Um, or overrated, or you can't wrestle. So from this point forward, and because of the acoustics in that building, from this point forward, John Cena is starting to get booed by a segment of the fans in WWE. He's still going to be a total babyface, and yet the WWE fans are starting to sharply divide on him from this point forth. For the next four years, fans were split on Cena. There were articles written about him, about how he'd not been authentic enough and how he's not the Hulk Hogan of our generation. And in 2011, the WWE finally found a way to capitalize on it. They had him feuding with The Rock, who had returned um, specifically to feud with John Cena because John Cena had called out The Rock um, and the two of them had gone back and forth verbally from about Royal Rumble through the week before WrestleMania. And it was really cool because both guys could rock the mic, no pun intended. Um, the Rock sang songs. He like got out a guitar and and made up songs about John Cena. Uh, they, they rap battled because John Cena's old gimmick was to be a, a freestyle rapper. Mm-hmm. Um, they called each other out. The Rock got uh, Cena hashtagged with Fruity Pebbles uh because cena had a habit of like having a whole bunch of different t-shirts that he would sell in all just different colors and uh okay yeah um and i think uh the rock came out and was like you know you think i'm gonna bow down to someone or you know you think you can go one-on-one with the great one you dress like you wear fruity pebbles then he turned to the mic he goes hashtag fruity pebbles and it trended number one for a while um wow it got john cena a sponsorship by fruity pebbles I fucking love wrestling. How is this not beautiful? Right. (laughs) Um, And also hashtag John Cena's lady parts, I think was another one. (laughs) Just like, I don't know if he got a sponsorship for that, but it it was, it was weird. It was a great time for people who loved or hated John Cena, frankly. And, and finally they conflicted physically And the fans enjoyed the entire ride and the rock made sure that John Cena lost at WrestleMania to a chicken shit heel named the Miz. And the people were stoked that the hero lost to a chicken shit heel. Okay. The good guy got beat because the superstar interfered and cheated on behalf of the chicken shit heel. And so for the next year, they built toward a match at the following WrestleMania, um, uh, what do you call it? And and while The Rock bounced in and out of WWE because he had filming schedules and things to do, uh, with he and Cena having matches on the same team, only to end in The Rock hitting him with the Rock Bottom. Cena also feuded with a bunch of other people, most notably my favorite feud: CM Punk and John Cena. CM Punk beat John Cena, and then kayfabe left the company. He had done so after what was called the pipe bomb. Now. CM Punk, uh, well, uh, CM Punk used the pipe bomb interview to call out the real reasons why people didn't like John Cena. And that resonated big time. Uh, So I'll I'll go through that in in much more detail later, but recognize um, at their match in Chicago at Money in the Bank, I believe it was 2011, there was a sign and it said, if Cena wins, we riot. Okay. So five years later, you see that same sign. And after that feud, John Cena finished his feud with The Rock and put The Rock over at Wrestlemania. The next night, he comes out, you know, Rock, you beat me, blah, blah, blah. Thank you so much for this. This is, you know, it's been an honor. And, you know, the better man won last night. Then Brock Lesnar came back from UFC. Brock Lesnar uh, was the UFC heavyweight champion. He beat Randy Couture Unconscious to become the UFC heavy. Yeah, champion. I remember
0: that. Yeah, it was a yeah. big deal. Yeah, yeah. it was.
1: Uh, Randy Couture said uh, at one point, he's like, Yeah, I was. I, I thought I had plenty of room to duck back, and I pulled back, and this lunchbox just kept coming at me. And I realized that yeah. it was his fist. And the next thing I knew, I was on the ground. So,
0: <laughs> this lunchbox just it's, kept coming at me.
1: Yeah. So, Brock Lesnar comes back and Ah. steps in the ring. And John Cena at this point is wearing a John Deere green shirt because that's the brand, that's the color of his Fruity Pebbles Mm. Mm. uh, advertisement at the time. Um, and he is just putting over Brock Lesnar, like, man, it's good to see you back. There's been a lot of changes, check it out, you know, and da-da-da. And Brock Lesnar beat the shit out of him, bloodied him for real. Elbow to the, I mean, like legit elbow to the face, and the fans loved it Cena still wrestled acted and spoke like a total babyface at this point and this will take us through 2017 where John Cena was feuding with all sorts of people who wrestled his heels but they were getting cheer- cheered by a larger and larger segment of the fans and the whole time John Cena wrestled and acted and spoke like a baby face all the way up until his hiatus in 2017 and then he returned to part-time wrestling the only time John Cena got cheered, truly got cheered, was when he came, without division, was when he came out to call, back, call out Roman Reigns for doing the, the exact same thing that he had done for getting shoved down our throats. Now, John Cena, who has the record of Make-A-Wish appearances at over 650, who never stopped being a good guy since WrestleMania 20,
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Still got booed from 2006 on through just very recently. So 2006 until very recently. Just keep that in mind. And by okay. the way, the, the the just to back it up just a bit because I People feel like I suck. Like, yeah, I'm just you know and yeah yeah. There's some there's some stuff going on here. Um, you know, and 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 the 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 CM Punk pipe bomb speech is a, a wonderful promo. It's amazing. Like it really, really is. Um, and I'm going to get into it more, but essentially okay. the, 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 the short version is CM Punk was very frustrated with how he was being used in the WWE and he hated that, CM, that he legitimately hated. This is this is not kayfabe. He legitimately hated that that other people were getting pushed over him and beyond him when he knew that he was better than all of them. And point of fact, he was he was a much better performer. He worked really, really hard, et cetera, et cetera. And he could work a crowd. And yet all these other people are getting pushed over him. And he had a problem with that. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm going to just go be the best in the world somewhere else. He said that. Um, and so his contract was coming due and he made it very publicly known that uh, he ain't resigning. And so then he, uh, he had a talk with Vince McMahon and Vince McMahon said, let's make an angle out of this. Cause of course he did. Uh, and we'll get into the money in the bank match a little bit later, but So that's that's the John Cena. Now, meanwhile, in Bavaria, in uh, April 16th, 1927, meanwhile, in Bavaria, (laughs) Joseph Aloysius Ratzinger was born in his parents home, the great nephew to a man who saw the gospel and Catholicism as a way to empower the poor. His family was exceptionally religious uh, for the time. With his brother growing up to become a priest and a musician, his great uncle uh, Georg—I think it's George without an
0: E—Yorg, uh,
1: Yorg, George, is, or could
0: yeah. be, I mean, w- yeah. Uh, I just
1: remember the Countess in uh, the Sound of Music calling it Georg.
0: Okay, Georg.
1: Yeah. So I'm gonna Here I'm gonna go. stick with Georg because that's how the, uh, the the Countess said it in Sound of Music. Fair enough. Um, So anyway, uh, his great uncle Georg had been equal rights or equal parts chaplain and editor of several journals and newspapers in the 1800s. Georg Ratzinger was even a member of the Bavarian parliament and later the Reichstag as a centrist. Now, until the center proved to be too conciliatory when it came to ignoring the poor, and then he, Georg, was driven further left because he saw the need for good works for God's children. Uh, He himself was a man of great learning and wrote Oh boy! The Volkswirtschaft in ihren sticklin Grundlagen, I I ethnic social Studien über Kultur and civilization, or in English and far less fun, the national economy and its moral foundations, ethnic social studies on culture and civilization. Okay. So Georg opposed the materialism needed for Adam Smith's ideas to work. Uh, so I already like him. Um, and though, uh, and he thought that Christian ethics would actually and should actually guide a political economy. Uh, and he's saying this at the same time that Otto von Bismarck is making Germany great from blood and iron. Okay. Georg's grandnephews both became priests. Uh, Georg, who's the older nephew, so named after his great, great uncle. Mm-hmm. Um was playing in the he was playing the church organ as early as 11 and he entered seminary in 1935. Unfortunately, in Germany in the 1930s and the 1940s there was some other stuff going on too, so he couldn't just focus on his talent for music and looking the other way. Yeah. Georg was drafted, Georg the younger was drafted into the Wehrmacht in 1942, shot in the arm in 1944 in Italy and ended up a POW under American control in Italy until the end of the war. Okay. He was quickly released and went back to re-enter the seminary in 1946 with his younger brother. There's not much else to say about Georg beyond the fact that he absolutely knew what was happening to the boys in the Regensburger uh, Domspatzen Choir and looked the other way from 1964 to 1994 when he retired from that position. Okay. But his younger brother, oh, young Joseph, what a disappointment he must have been. To his grand uncle because joseph wholly rejected his grand uncle's approach to secularizing the good works of jesus politics and church ought not to mix in that way according to joseph when he got older joseph was conscripted into the hitler and by his brother's report he was not a big fan of mandatory service which by the way was 90 percent of the kids mm-hmm. so i'm not holding him to the fire on this one like that fucking sucked um They also had a cousin with Down syndrome who was taken away in 1941 and murdered under action T4. Mm. This specifically was the part of the Nazi ideology that spoke to racial hygiene by murdering people deemed useless eaters. Quote, the more severely burdened should not propagate themselves. If we do nothing but make mental and physical cripples capable of propagating themselves and the healthy stocks, have to limit the number of their children because so much has to be done for the maintenance of others, if natural selection is generally suppressed, then unless we will get new measures, our race must rapidly deteriorate. And and
0: Darwin is spinning in his grave fast enough to generate electrical power.
1: Yeah. Well, just in case someone... Assholes. Just in case someone wants to talk about Hitler's economic successes, remember they were based on shit like this, and they used stolen Jewish wealth to balance the books. Yeah. Also, I would point out that this idea of survival of the fittest, humans figured out how to take care of their own since they were humans, since before they were humans, Paleolithic era. Yes. Since since yes. Since Neanderthals. Yeah. We, but, we
0: we yeah. we can look at skeletal remains and know that uh, people suffered debilitating mm-hmm. injuries and lived for 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 the time period a very long time afterward. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because so. because what we figured out that other animals didn't or or were not sophisticated enough to have in the way that we have is the idea of being truly a troop
1: yeah. animal, like yeah. it turns out, fitness includes taking care of the elderly and infirm because they have a lot of uses still. Yeah. So yeah,
0: generational knowledge.
1: But yeah, uh, Joseph and and Georg yeah. lost a younger brother to this policy, um, which is fucking awful.
0: I had not known that.
1: Yeah. Um. So uh, you know when when people are like, oh, he's a little Nazi kid. Mm-hmm no no i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna say no now uh there's plenty of criticize on but we got to get there first so young joseph unwilling to conscript into the hj was then drafted into the luftwaffe's anti-aircraft corps and then into the infantry in 1945 he deserted his post as the allies got closer and he went back home okay far. so far i'm down this is good okay He was interned in an Allied camp, and his parents' home was made into the Allied headquarters in the area. And after the war ended, he was released and he joined his brother in seminary shortly thereafter. Okay. So while Joseph moved through his theological life, he'd bump into reformers of all sorts, especially those who were the proto-libertarian theologists. But as he got older, into the late 1950s, he moved further and further away from what he considered a Marxist approach to Catholicism. And as he got higher and higher up in the hierarchy of the Catholic Church, he got more and more vocal in his conservative and exclusionary approach to loving Jesus, publishing multiple journals that helped crystallize and codify that approach. In 1978, uh, Joseph Ratzinger uh, was promoted from archbishop to cardinal priest. Now, I have no idea what these things are. I assume they can move more than just diagonally on the board now.
0: (laughs) So, okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Bishops yes. are the uh, ecclesiastical bosses, essentially of a diocese. So, uh,
1: so they're like and, the capo regime, uh, kind of, and, and the priests are kinda, the button men. Okay, kind of,
0: yeah. And and in, I don't actually
1: mean that flippantly, in, but like my in, understanding. You know, no, that's, that's 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 a good hierarchy. I can understand.
0: You know, yeah, and and you're and you're keeping it in Italy, so yeah. I can understand that. <laughs> so, so somewhere along the way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In the in the formation of the of the church as we know it today, um the the Pope, the the bishops of Rome,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um basically argued that okay, so in the scripture, Jesus said, You 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 are Peter, and on this rock I will found my church. Yes. And he and he made Peter Peter's a pun. It was,
1: yes. It was,
0: remarkably enough. And uh, and he made Peter essentially the number one disciple
1: right first among equals first among equals right
0: and uh the bishops of rome because peter had then gone on to become bishop of rome right before being himself crucified
1: uh, upside down uh, upside
0: down right upside down saint peter's cross is actually an upside down cross uh for all of my uh supernatural fan friends out there in the viewing listening audience Uh, keep in mind that it's not just witches who have upside down crosses it it could also be devout catholics who are you know peter fans
1: and and peter was kind of in charge but at the same time when jesus is around he was a disciple so yeah peter is a switch so witches and switches
0: nice thank you not even remarkably enough not even mad thank you um because i have more of a sense of humor about this stuff than other things so peter did yeah yeah (laughs) well you know here's the thing i I heard he was
1: stern as fuck like like in every painting he's always frowny
0: well he's always frowny but i think part of that is because in the religious tradition that that comes up you know after after him uh there are two things that are that are remembered about him number one the part i already mentioned that jesus Mm -hmm. said on this rock i'll found my church and um the idea that the keys to heaven were handed to him Mm -hmm. he is in in catholicism and to a lesser extent in orthodox christianity he is a christian stand in for the psychopomp. Okay. He is he is the the because you know the idea is that you're gonna have to stand before Saint Peter before you can get into heaven. That's the that's right. the not joke, but and that's the way the jokes are always phrased is you're gonna go yeah, you know yeah. three guys are standing in front of Saint Peter and yada yada. And um and that's because of that line in scripture. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is because of that responsibility and also, you know, the interpersonal stuff between him and Jesus and the fact that he had to deal with the guilt of fucking up and denying Christ.
1: And therefore, he's also redeemed by Christ's grace yes. because Christ is like, yo, you're still a stand up guy, even though you yes. failed to. Yes. Yeah.
0: And then when and then later on in one of the most affecting passages in the New Testament for me personally, mm-hmm. uh, Christ asks him. So three times he denied Christ. I don't know right. the guy. I don't know. I don't know. Right. Then Christ reappears before Peter and some of the other apostles mm-hmm. and says to him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. Cool. And then Christ asks him again, Peter, do you love me?
1: Oh, he makes him affirm him three times.
0: He makes him affirm him three Number one, he makes him affirm him three times.
1: Mm-hmm. Number
0: two, every time he asks him, do you love me? Mm-hmm. it's in a different it's using a different greek word
1: oh god i remember these sermons from like when i went to youth groups believe it or not yeah. i went to youth groups yeah, re- and there I were th- yeah. three kinds of love and greek yeah. words etc yeah. okay so yeah. he's using all three different ones so, so he's That's using right. all
0: three yeah yeah and and so uh for me somebody who identifies really strongly with peter as the fuck up mm-hmm um and the loud mouth and the hot head that's mm. like <laughs> i get i get every year when that comes up during during the easter season in church i get weepy in church it's cool. like it's a thing yeah, yeah. so
1: okay get me to anyway, because of here. yeah yeah
0: sorry so so originally bishops it was like okay so the bishop is in charge of the church in his area and then uh-huh. the pope said and then and then they were essentially they were all equal then the popes started claiming papal supremacy so I'm first among equals, like right. Peter was first among equals, I'm the boss. Right, right, right. So then
1: for- em, a Heavy e- emphasis on the first, less so heavy, on the among equals. Heavy emphasis yeah. on the
0: first, less so on the equals. And then as time went on, for administrative reasons, it mm. became important for there to be some rank between Il Papa sure. in Rome- and the bishops out every place else and so an archbishop is like a county bishop that that other kind of yeah, yeah. like other 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 bishops kind of kind of sort of answer to him it's a, right. it's it's not it, is it, my it based, like, it's my understanding
1: like congregation to diocese to parish to archbishop county commissioner Brick. yeah yeah, yeah.
0: And then, and then somewhere along the way, and I, I don't know enough about the history to, to pinpoint it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the idea of cardinals is these are people who have been made um, – they're, they're the people who are responsible for electing the pope. Right. And most of them are archbishops of one kind or another. But sure. it is possible for anybody to be made a cardinal. Sweet. The Pope, any right any it. adult male Catholic over the age of eighteen mm-hmm. can be made a cardinal.
1: Nice.
0: Any adult Catholic over the age of eighteen could be selected as the Pope.
1: Which has happened a few times.
0: Not in a very, very long time, but yes.
1: Right. Yeah. Okay. And
0: and so yeah. So that's okay. Bishops cool. bishops is is like, you know, Kappa de Regime right and you know the the commissioners they they answer to the archbishops and then there's the cardinals who are they're kind of like mostly kind of yeah yeah, actually that's a really good that's a since we're talking about rome that's a really good analogy yeah
1: yeah
0: and then and then the pope
1: right well he becomes a cardinal priest uh which i did not realize uh wasn't where you minister to the birds so <laughs> apparently, Francis yeah. of Assisi was not a cardinal priest. No. Uh, neither was Ozzy Smith. Um, so uh, apparently, someone above him liked the cut of his holy jib. Uh, and in 1981, he was appointed by the sitting pope uh, at that point, John Paul II. JP2. Yep. Uh, to be the prefect of the sacred congregation of the doctrine of faith. I just love all the genitives there, Uh, which is the oldest of the sacred (laughs) congregations. Mm -hmm. And it was originally instituted to protect the church against heresy. Nicely done. Uh, Over the next 20 years, he'd branch out, get appointed to more stuff, start more new things, big on journals, uh, including the European Academy of Sciences and Arts in 1991. He got appointed to that. Right after it was created huh yeah Mm -hmm. um he also oversaw the expulsion of matthew fox um the dominican not the actor from party of five and from lost um uh who had questioned the doctrine of original sin and supported a more humanist and anthropological examination of the legend of jesus Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he, yeah, he oversaw he oversaw his expression. exactly go be an Episcopalian. Yeah, yeah. If you're uh, gonna
0: do that, just like join yeah. join the uh, Universalist Unitarian Universalist <laughs> Just like, come on, no. <laughs> so, if you're gonna be thing, a Catholic, be a fucking Catholic. My Tell brother, me.
1: whom you know and who yeah. you've known longer than I, he yes. is, I think, the seventh generation on on our dad's side to have been baptized in the Unitarian Church in San Francisco. So it's always a kick to me that like. Oh, go be one of them. They're not even anything. It's like, (laughs)
0: like, we have church records of my brother. Like, like, (laughs) yeah,
1: funny. Yeah. Interestingly, he was also in charge of enforcing a document governing the confidentiality of internal investigations into priests accused of sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. See, he didn't do Nazi shit. He didn't like he he was drafted into it like most young boys at his Mm -hmm. age. Uh, and he spent most of his time deserting and being imprisoned. Uh, but as an adult. Ugh. So when he became mm-hmm. Pope in 2005, which he beat the odds that Vegas set at seven to one, um, <laughs> he, he later uh, was reported as wanting to retire, not get promoted. And I kind of believe that since he took the name Benedict. But he said God had other plans.
0: Mm okay so so speaking as somebody who converted after he was pope okay um my understanding of Mm -hmm. those circumstances is him saying you know i really want to retire but god had other plans
1: right it's like (sighs) ceremonial modesty
0: yeah yeah yeah, so I, thought I, I that hesitate. Too. I hesitate yeah. to, to say that he was being disingenuous because, right, Pope. Um, but by the same token, you know, you you you're supposed you, to say that you're supposed to. Number one, you're supposed to say that. Number two, if you listen to the not testimony, but the the accounts of mm-hmm. other people who were involved in the process at the time. Mm-hmm he was politicking and, and part of that could have been that he ideologically was, uh, really concerned about a major reformer taking over because again, he's a guardian of guardian of of orthodoxy, right. You know, and, and it could have been like, I, you know, I I don't, maybe it was, I don't really want to do this, but you know better i do it and suffer than the church have some reformer take over
1: uh huh cuz that was in that first ballot the first slate of ballots yeah the the one who was closest to him in the votes yeah little dude from uh argentina
0: uh huh oh i know believe so, me i know yeah.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. Francis, I'm so, just so, so yeah
0: francis so yeah
1: As Pope Benedict XVI, his reforms were predictably modest and moderate at best. It felt more like he was spell checking and copy editing the policies rather than setting new ones. Uh Um, He did some cosmetic stuff. He changed who greeted him daily to include a married couple and their baby. Uh, he, He also said everybody who greets him daily instead of it used to be like this whole group of priests. And then he's like, "No, no, no! I want just twelve priests, but I want a married couple, their new baby, somebody who is a new convert to Catholicism, um, and I want a different group of cardinals that had done it before." Um, he also took the top off of the uh, Pope mobile, um, stuff like that. Uh, so very cosmetic, um, and, yeah. and 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 that's fine. That's the you know you you don't need visionaries every single time, um, and I personally have no stake in this. But mostly, he just added grease to the cogs that needed it from what I could find. He reaffirmed the anti-bodily autonomy for women stance that the church has held fast to since 1588, uh, which is right when Spain got defeated by England. So it's kind of sus to me. And uh-huh. at the same time, uh, he also...
0: Uh, <laughs> you know, okay, what's, what's interesting... Mm-hmm. He also, me, by
1: the way, just before oh, you get to the interesting yeah, yeah. part, he also maintained the same stance uh, about marriage sought by couples that aren't cis So, again, he's he's keeping he's keeping yeah. it traditional. So, what were you gonna say?
0: Yeah, what I was what I was going to say was um, in in regard to uh, the the stance against women's bodily autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, the the thing about that is. You're partly correct that significant portions of that do date back to
1: 1588. Mm-hmm. But, oh, I found shit that went way back further, but like this was the first like.
0: Oh yeah, well yeah,
1: yeah, because yeah,
0: yeah, the church. But it was yeah.
1: the fr- it was the um, first cohesive, coherent, on purpose codification of that yeah. stance that I could find.
0: Yeah, so. um, but the idea of uh, life beginning at conception is not scripturally supported correct and there are any number of jesuits who who are who are in perfectly good standing with the church uh, but but the american council of bishops would probably prefer they keep their yaps shut uh they're the same
1: people that wrote letters against the tv show soap so i know i
0: know (laughs) so you know the, the way the way decisions get made and and the way the hierarchy of the Catholic church actually works is one of the most weird dotted line kind of, kind of org charts that you can possibly imagine. Sure. Everybody has, has a solid line leading up to the Pope Mm -hmm. in the Catholic church, but then below the Pope, there are all of these dotted lines with, you know, archbishops and the American council of bishops and like the Pope mostly lets bishops in any given country mostly kind of handle issues in their own country probably
1: grateful for the ocean and the sea that is between him and america probably
0: (laughs) i'm this the current pope is definitely grateful yeah um but you know but it's it's this it's this tangled mess of dotted lines and you know uh, but, but, you know, it, what, I'm, what I'm trying to go around to, to pointing out is that, uh, you know, we, we base things in Catholicism on scripture, on tradition, and on, you know, revelation from, from the Holy Spirit and, mm-hmm. and reason, uh, you know, thinking through, okay, if this thing, then sure. the logical follow-on must be this thing. Um, and um, tradition generally has, has the biggest seat at the table. Yep. And scripture is is number two. And the funny thing in this case (laughs) is the funny thing in this case is that scripture pretty clearly, if you go into the old testament and you look in the books of the old testament, like there are instructions for how to deal with a fetus you don't want. Yep. Or or can't afford.
1: Well, and there's also literature written more more
0: point, can't afford.
1: Yeah, and there's also literature written by several canonized folk who are like, "All right, so until this point, you don't have a quickening, so it's fine, mm-hmm. and yep. until this point, you don't have a quickening for girls, so it's fine, mm-hmm. and on and on. yeah, so yeah. and now, and oh,
0: yeah, so anyway, but but the the as you say the the reinforcement of the policy since 1588, yeah, I'm like yes and no, <laughs> like like yes." Yeah, when it comes to her autonomy, yes. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So he also went hard in the paint when it came to Jews, indigenous peoples and Muslims. But most of that was honestly just kind of continuing tradition as well. It's pretty clear from the way he chose his name that the way uh, all the way through the way he ran the place, he saw himself as a placeholder and a continuer of what John Paul II was doing. The last Benedict was the last guy I think to retire from the gig too. Um, I know yes. there's no I,
0: there's a well, guy there's
1: only been two. right, but there's a guy who no no, I think I'm right. yeah, yeah. the last guy to, to have retired from the gig was the other Benedict, uh, one of the other 15 Benedicts. Um, his mm-hmm. also He also continued his lack of action when it came to sexual abuse of children. At one point, making sure to secure his own diplomatic immunity in a Texas case. Uh, This isn't to say that he did nothing. One could certainly point to the one case in Mexico where Benedict made sure to launch an investigation against a priest that he'd formerly been pressured multiple times by those above him prior to his becoming a pope to stop investigating. So he was pressured by people above him when he was a cardinal priest. Mm -hmm. I'll let you figure out how many of those people are. Um, but, uh, he was told don't investigate this guy. And when he became Pope, he's like, fuck that. We're investigating this guy. But he also didn't start the investigation until after John Paul II specifically honored Marisol Maciel first. Uh, and once Benedict was Pope, he did go for it. So that's, that's one. Um, anyway, for eight years, Benedict was Pope. Then he resigned the first to do so in just under 600 years, yep. becoming Pope Emeritus. When he resigned, he had an approval mm-hmm. rating amongst Catholics of about 76%. Yeah. Now in 19- 1934. 30- oh. was that?
0: Count me in the 24.
1: <laughs> but continue. Yeah. Well, um, actually, this might not be a bad place to stop, which totally sucks for people who are listening to this one episode at a time. I'm going to recommend everybody binge these over the next yeah. four weeks um yeah. so or at least uh listen to this one and the other one right next to each other like maybe hold off for yeah. a week now that yeah. i'm telling them yeah, at yeah. the end of the episode yeah. um so because this is a good place to stop because i'm about to get into your homeboy uh Hope frank um so that'll, yeah that'll that'll be uh that'll take a little longer because he's been added okay. a bit longer so okay yeah um, so, uh, I'm not going to bother. Well, I actually, I will. is there anything that you've gleaned from this or have I just mostly reinforced what you already knew? And now you're like, how the hell are we going to get from here to there?
0: Um, what I'm, well, I, I think, I think the punchline here, mm-hmm. such as it is, is that, uh, Benedict retired, mm-hmm. which fuck me anyway, he retired with a 76% approval rating. Mm-hmm. Which ties in very nicely with uh, everybody who got cheered over John Cena. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and and the thing is, uh, and and there there are there are shades of difference because, like, if you're if you're going to ask Catholics, you know, do you approve of the Pope? It's going to take an awful lot for for most, especially cradle Catholics, to to say, well, no, I, I don't, I don't think this guy ought to be the one, because that's just that's culturally, that's just not done. Like, you know, they're they're going to find a way to go. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, he's the Pope, you know, even if right. they don't like him particularly. And then there are going to be because there's assholes everywhere. There's going to be those those hardcore elements who are like, oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, he's he's the guy. Mm-hmm. you know um and and so so there is this this thing that's happened in the last two decades that is a cynicism
1: you're stepping on my uh on my on my road yeah. here yeah okay yep but but you're not wrong you're not wrong to even sniff that based on where we've gone so far
0: yeah, that's, that's the, that's the sense that I've gotten is yeah. it's like, if somebody is legitimately, no kidding, a boy scout, right. You know, Cap- Captain America Yep. or Superman, you know, if somebody is no kidding, the lawful, good paladin, shiny boy, mm-hmm. um, there is this knee jerk desire to see them as fake. Mm hmm. There is this knee-jerk uh, uh, response of, of uh, you know, oh, you know, thinking it's twee or overly sentimental or cringe mm-hmm. to you know talk like the kids do nowadays. And and I think that's what we're seeing showing up here. Mm-hmm.
1: I I think you've that's you've my that's my theory. You've gleaned quite a bit. Okay. Well done. Um, you've you've gotten you know, to know me well over the last hundred and sixty plus episodes. <laughs>
0: you know, and, and like, what's that?
1: He's talking about ECW? Cynicism.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and just you know, people from Philly are sadistic fucks. Right. Um, you know, I mean there's that too.
1: <laughs> so are you reading uh, anything now that school's out?
0: Um, I I am actually Yay. uh number one. I mentioned uh, before in a a previous recording, I mentioned that I was reading through The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, Mm -hmm. uh, which I still very strongly recommend. Um, I actually recommend all of Conan Doyle's work Mm -hmm. because even when it's not great, it's still solidly entertaining. Sure. And in preparation for the next time, I'm the one doing the hey, did you know? Mm -hmm. I'm going to recommend everybody go out and read Isaac Asimov's uh, the Caves of Steel. Okay. Specifically, the Caves of Steel. Uh, if you want to earn extra credit in Mr. Blaylock's class, you can also go read I Robot. Okay. Cool. So.
1: Well, I'm reading. Reading. I'm reading The Vatican Primpernell: World War II Exploits of the Monsignor Who Saved Over Sixty Five Hundred Lives by Brian Fleming, uh, and I'm recommending that as a companion piece. To uh, John Corwell's book, Hitler's Pope, The Secret History of Pius the XII.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think the two of those would read quite nicely uh, in the same way that having pickles with a peanut butter sandwich oddly works. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: So it makes sense.
1: Where can people find you on the social medias?
0: I can be found on TikTok at Mr. Underscore Blaylock. I can be found on the Twitter machine at E.H. And we collectively can be found on the Twitter machine at Geek History Time. And uh, on on the interwebs, pardon me, our website is uh, geekhistoryoftime.com.
1: How about you? Uh, you can find me, uh, let's see, on Twinsta at da Harmony, Um by the time this drops, you can find me on August fifth at Luna's. If you have your full vaccination, ten dollars, and a desire to see some amazing puns, it will be the last show with Daniel Humberger on it. Actually, as he is moving to Hawaii, uh, so every show thereafter, I've I've secured a a, a Charles Emerson Winchester the third to his Frank Burns. Okay, uh, so. Uh, but yeah, that that you can find us doing that. Um, and I'm not too active on TikTok, although summer's starting soon, so perhaps I will find new ways to entertain myself. So, anyway, for a geek history of time. Uh, until next time, I am Damien Harmony,
0: and I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, vivat Francis.